Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we are diving in to the safety class, final positional overview of the 2021 NFL Draft. We're going to get our final mock draft soon, our final big board soon. That's all coming in the coming weeks. We also have JT O'Sullivan of the QB School, the YouTube channel, the QB School, uh, former UC Davis quarterback, also bounced around the NFL for a little bit, had a lot of good things to say about this quarterback class and his process evaluating players. He joins the show, and then at the back end of the podcast, I have interviews with former Notre Dame and Jacksonville State receiver K.J. Stefferson, and then former Virginia Tech safety, soon-to-be NFL linebacker, Divine Diablo. Let's get it. You have some highlights from the weekend. You went out to what? Where were you? Austin, Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Did you get Franklin barbecue? Did not end up getting Franklin barbecue. You said you were going to do barbecue. it. Yeah, we were, and I would just it fell apart. What was the highlight yeah. of the weekend? Uh, okay, there's actually, there was, I mean, there was a lot of highlights. It was a good weekend, but the low light of the weekend was first night in there. Uh, we go to this bar, Blind Pig downtown, and we're doing the punching bag game. Classic. Box. First punch, just my hand just shat. Bam. Oh, dude, it looks swollen as hell. Swollen as hell. It's yeah. fat, like a glove. Was, and we were going to be playing, like, drinking games. We got this place specifically to play. They had, like, Can Jam, uh, Beers Beat. Like, they had all these games that we were going to play at Beer Olympics the next day. I can't even hold a Frisbee. I could barely hold a beer. And so that's how my weekend started, but it was still fun. You said you still got some die up, though, right? Yeah, I mean, we still played. I still, I still powered through. Did some lefty games, what I could, but, man. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with my hand. I probably should have also iced it, but I didn't. You didn't ice it, go to the doctor's nothing? No. Classic. So yeah. Didn't you punch it twice? You didn't mention that. You said yeah, that okay. to me before the podcast. The first, <laughs> the first one I did it, and I got like, and then I, I had like second high score or anyone there, and I was like, I'm going to beat this motherfucker. Like, he beat me by like 10 points or whatever on the game, and I go again, and I'm just like, and I got like half the score because my hand was just not working, so... I, I have similarly I have low light weekend. It was just a low light weekend. I was just catching strays, dude. I was going, I was out hanging out with some people and I was just catching strays. One, you know, one chick at some point told me that I met a best friend tonight, which again, it just continues to fit, hit on the, your boyfriend's favorite guy, Ooh. your boyfriend's favorite guy right here. Another chick, I was wearing my checkered vans out. She's like, you know how I know you're a good person is I donated those vans to Goodwill today and you're still wearing them. I'm like, okay, that's an incredible. That was just, that's tough to hear. Tough I, to take I have on the told chin. you the checkered vans are not the move though. Well, I don't care. I'm sticking to it. I, she, someone told me that my, my style is like a professional intentional homeless person is that i was just getting it's like ironic style i almost went home after this weekend i was out for all day all night saturday and just set myself on fire because it was just there wasn't a single should at least shut the shoes on fire yeah well the shoes are gonna live we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna fire them off but uh yeah i was getting friend zone left and right it was it was it was hard to watch it was hard to watch i'm Honestly, glad I was that chick there. also had the worst takes. She oh, said, she said, here now. She, she had the worst takes. She said her favorite movie of all time is the Simpsons movie. I almost freaking punched her. What? How? The Simpsons movie is literally in any, if that is your favorite movie, you just don't like film. Like you're just, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just not that good. I didn't know there was one. Not a Simpsons fan. It's, so. it's sad. It's sad. She had some bad takes, and you know I'm her best friend now. Though, it sounds so. also like you're very salty about this. I'm a little so. salty. I'm a little salty. I don't feel good. All right, let's get into the safety class overview here. We also have JT O'Sullivan joining the show. We got interviews with KJ Stefferson and Divine Diablo. I also got to mention this. Right now on PFF.com, promo code DRAFT30. 
get you 30% off any PFF subscription. If you like Mike and myself and you support us through the podcast, you've left reviews, you've left mailbag questions, all that stuff, go subscribe to PFF.com. It's 30% off. That means the draft guide right now, if you get an Edge monthly subscription, is $10. 30% off, it's $7. And it's the final draft guide. You get access to the final draft board. You get access to all that stuff for $7. $7 That's for a draft guide. I think I, I used to pay more for that as a kid growing up, whatever I was buying. Dude, now you got Chipotle. a physical copy, but it's Chipotle yeah. without guac. Um, that's if you don't get double meat. But if you go to Chipotle and don't get double meat, wow, that's go. a t- <gasps> dude. You know what I have to bring up? The interview is coming up later. So I talked to Trill Williams, the Syracuse cornerback that yeah. is going to be played later in the week. One, one of the best interviews I've done. The dude is smart as hell. He wants to be in broadcasting after. He's really good on the mic. It's nice. going to be a very good interview when you get to that later in the week. The other thing he said, his go-to Chipotle order. I'm going to tease the interview a little bit. He gets. He told me rice, beans, the normal stuff. And at the end, he brings in a bag of nacho cheese Doritos himself, crumples <laughs> them up and sprinkles them over the top, and then shakes the damn bowl up. That's actually awesome. I'm going to try it. He like chefs it up himself. He adds his own flair. He said one of the players at Syracuse, he didn't name them, first introduced him to it, and then he's been that's... doing it ever since. I need to try it. It sounds fire. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's a good idea. That's like, that, that's ingenuity. Right ingenuity. There. All right. Number one here, safety class. You only have one first-round safety. Only Correct. one first-round safety in this class, and it's Trayvon Morig of TCU. Trayvon Morig. I think it's actually pronounced Merrick. We've been pronouncing it wrong for like a year and a half now. I hate myself. I know, right? We That's our fault, though. Um, but, yeah, Trayvon Morig. Size, speed, production, versatility. It's like showing it all on tape at mm-hmm. this point in his career. A 91.9 coverage rate back in 2019. He's led the... FBS and pass breakups each of the last two years. Four picks, 12 pass breakups 2019, two picks, eight pass breakups this past season. 51% completion allowed, percentage allowed for his career. It's good numbers. And like I said, they play a lot of split field stuff at TCU. He is in a role that oftentimes it turns into he's playing man coverage against the slot going vertical. And that's a tough role to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be a talented guy to not get cooked deep his fair share and he just didn't on tape a lot he has plays going backwards plays going forwards um only came in just a shade over six foot 202 pounds i thought he was gonna be a little bit bigger but that's still a good size for safety you could be a versatile do it all whatever safety at that size you're not gonna be limited whatsoever so yeah i just think no matter your scheme really like i I think the worst role for him might be true single high but really no matter what you want to put him in he can do and i think i mean that's why he's Safety one in the class. That was going to be my question. You know, he's number 16 on the big board. The only safety ranked inside the top 30. Elijah Molden coming in at second, even though he'll probably play slot corner in the NFL. Yeah. The, do you have any concerns? Because TCU plays so much quarters, so many too high looks. Do you have any yeah. concerns about him being a deep safety in the NFL? Do you think that, deep or a single high? A placeholder. Like, there's so few single high safeties that are true impact guys. That's yeah. why not a lot of them get paid. But there's only a handful that actually, a lot of teams just use that single high guys to guy. That's why, you know, Greg Williams is putting that guy 40 yards off the ball so he just could clean up whatever else happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that your single high guy is rarely a playmaker. There's only, like I said, those ones are rare, the guys that can make plays from single high, and that's why they are coveted highly. There's really one guy in this class that I feel really good, not really good about, but like could be that guy that I think, and we'll get to him a little bit later. Interesting stuff. He's also we also talked to him. I definitely go back and listen to that interview. Who's another smart defensive back on two for one drafts? So let's jump now to Elijah Molden. I saw a comparison for him. You know, considering his athleticism and stuff, uh, it's very similar to Mike Hilton. Yeah. What's your opinion of that comparison uh, for Elijah Molden, the Washington quarterback? I mean, no, 
if he fails that safety, you got yourself a damn good slot cornerback. Like I, I feel good about that because that's what he's done on his tape past two years at Washington. 90.9 coverage grade in 2019. 86.2 coverage grade this past year. He's going to be darn good in the slot. And, and he's not just your... He's not thriving. That grade's not him thriving on you know a handful of picks and just like splashy plays. No, he's a ridiculously good tackler. Very smart football player. And has some of the best hips in this class. Like he going when guys would go vertical from the slot. A lot of times these guys who make a ton of pass breakups underneath are leaving themselves liable to just get cooked deep because they don't really have to worry about that. Elijah Mullen, it's rare to see him really just get out of position. Like when guys went straight vertical on him, he transitioned and was still in their hip pocket. Had a ton of pass breakups. I think he had something like 10 pass breakups back in 2019, four picks that year. He was just a solid all-around slot corner. Now, is that a safety? It's definitely not an outside corner. He's 5'9", 192, 29 and a half inch arms. He's not playing there. Yeah. So is that a safety? I think he's I think he tackles well enough, and I think he sees the game well enough that he could easily transition to safety. Now, again, he's played there one game this past season. So you don't really know, but I'd I'd bet. I'd I'd buy-in that's why he's safety two on the board i'd argue that i mean i'd argue that you'd want to almost play him at slot cornerback out of the gate though i mean is it not is slot cornerback not more valuable than you know potentially him having him play safety um well the slot cornerback's got to come off the field and the biggest thing is he going to pop off the field against base okay base d mm-hmm. if your slot cornerback does now can you have him play slot and ba- or excuse me safety and base and then slot when you go nickel sure that by all means go ahead and do that but he has, I think, to get to maximize sort of his value, you're going to have to get him on the field all the snaps. So, yeah, we'll see. Fair enough. All right, let's jump now to a guy that's really a late riser in the process, former Indiana safety Jamar Johnson, another guy we talked to on the podcast. I think when I was watching his tape, and I think I tweeted this, but, like, it's the wow plays that get you, man. You see some of these some of these plays that he makes from, a, you know, like, the range, the, the instincts, how quickly he's moving on the ball, the yeah. hip fluidity, the feet. But then, like, what? What's your, so you see all that in tape, and I, I came away like, oh my goodness, this guy's got something. And then the testing wasn't great. His athletic testing was testing was, was interesting. I yeah. thought he was going to test a lot better than he did. Yeah, I think he also he came in six foot two hundred five at his pro day. Usually, guys like slim down for there. He he was listed at one ninety five this past year. Came in ten pounds heavier. That itself was a surprise. That's hopefully that's not a you know Jakai polite esque surprise. Hopefully, that's him actually put, trying to put on some more muscle. Because tackling was easily his biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Not only not a great tackler, not super willing. He goes for force fumbles, this guy. Two force fumbles in his career. He's going at the ball, not necessarily caring about wrapping up. That's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But seven picks and six pass breakups on 406 coverage snaps. That's about a season's worth of coverage snaps. For context, Trayvon Moore, we just said, 21 pass breakups, seven picks, a 949. So extrapolate that out. It'll be 14 picks if Jamar Johnson played the same amount of coverage snaps. That's how much, that's how ridiculous his ball production was and how many times he was getting his hands on footballs there at Indiana, whether a slot cornerback in 2019, actual safety this past year. So he's got a nose for the ball. Now, the testing was a, wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it was fairly average for the safety position. And then the tackling is an issue, but man, Really smooth hips. Still a young guy. Only 21. Like I said, true junior coming out. I I will trust the coverage versatility. Not trust. That's what I want in my defense. The guy who can 
line up anywhere, make plays in the ball, tackling. If you're good enough coverage, we can we can work around that. He's one of a handful of safeties in this class where I think we've used the term roller coaster with when you turn on his tape. I think you see Johnson, I don't think so, not in coverage, at okay. least. But definitely like there the tackling is an issue. I'm not sure. I, I would not definitely would not call him a roller coaster in coverage. Not like Andre Cisco in coverage. No. Okay. I, I don't think so by any means. He's not like the picks he's making are not him jumping stuff. He's just good like you just can react in position very quickly yes yeah. yeah he's just a very solid safety all right jumping now to former UCF safety also was a standout at the senior bowl Richie Grant uh he comes in at safety four on PFF's final draft board which you can check out on pff.com by the way final draft board top 300 positional rankings all that stuff on pff.com so Grant I have to say this he'll be 24 as, as a rookie he's old mm-hmm. he's been in been at UCF a while which I don't blame him Orlando's fun. My parents live there. I go down there all the time. I'd, <laughs> That's I'd hang the out. reason. I'd it's hang definitely out. that reason. I'd hang out for a while too myself. But he is one of the best. Probably he's probably the best safety in this class in terms of in run support. Coming downhill fills with a violence and with a willingness. Jamar Johnson doesn't. Yeah, you know, like like other guys in this class just don't. And he's 5'11", 197. Not super long for the position not going to be your rangy pass breakup guy but a very solid tackler went four five seven in the 40 but he also had 10 foot nine broad jump and a six seven eight cone like he's a good all-around athlete has played a versatile role at ucf early in his career back in 2018 when he had a bunch of picks i think he had six picks that year he was playing a lot deep and a lot of those picks came from a deep role past couple seasons been more box slot guy because he is, again, so willing and run defense is going to be that guy in your defense. So I think he's versatile enough that, again, not scheme limited. Any scheme should cover this guy. It's a very solid all-around safety. Maybe you're not getting super high-end, uh, you know, single-high playmaker, but he is, again, you're getting a good safety. I mean, there were reps at the Senior Bowl where he's playing like outside corner and the one-on-ones and looked good. Yeah. He had a lot of versatility. I think uh, I, I like that how you kind of spoke to his floor and how, like, you know, from I, I do think that Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling of some of these other guys. He's not going to chase the, you know, like the Earl Thomas deep safety. But I mean, mm-hmm. what he brings right now, what he's going to be right now, week one, is very good. Yeah. Very good at the safety position. All right. Jumping to one of your favorites in this class, a guy that I thought was going to ultimately fall to the day three conversation, but you're holding true. Size is not that big of an issue. Our Darius Washington TCU safety with really, really, really good grading. From uh from PFF College over the past two two seasons has played a lot yeah. of different roles uh in that TCU defense five foot eight one seventy six some concerns with the size like this is even just Carl Joseph small you know like Carl Joseph was small but I think he was like two ten coming out like two hundred five like he was rocked up he was short yeah he was short the difference between short he's both short and small yeah one seventy six would be the smallest safety ever to weigh in at the combine he he is you brought Mike Hilton Mike Hilton's one seventy eight coming out. This guy is Mike Hilton. And so I do think ultimately, where does he play? He plays in the slot. He, he's going to be a slot. Now, could he play safety? That's TBD. I don't think a lot of teams are even going to give him a chance. He will be your slot cornerback, but I think he's going to be a damn good slot cornerback. No one plays the game faster. No one processes the game faster in the safety class than our Darius Washington. Just flat out, no one does. 
How's that for a quote graphic social team? Take that rather than putting Mike on blast for some of the dumb takes he has. Yeah. I mean, they were asking me to put some of the quarterback takes. I'm like, don't even tweet that out. Please. Oh, man. You hate to see that. All right. I don't want to get roasted. Moving right. forward what here, I too. Uh, I know Maurice Jones Drew's favorite safety in the class. I think favorite defensive player in the class. Former Oakland, or not former Oakland native, Oakland native, Bishop O'Dowd graduate. Javon Holland, the Oregon safety that obviously opted out of the 2020 season. I've said this before. I think it's a guy that a lot of people are forgetting about because you just haven't seen him play in a long time. Mm -hmm. But what he did in 2019 was awesome. I mean, he's listed as a cornerback in certain filters in PFF's database because he played, you know, a lot of slide play on the outsides. Even sometimes like he did so many different things in Oregon's defense. It was an absolute baller like he really really did play well in 2019 I'm interested to know from your perspective you have him here in that day two range but where would you play him in the NFL so I I honestly have come around watching his tape again 2019 and like his size profile and less profile I'd, I'd try to give him a shot as an outside cornerback I'm surprised he never did obviously they had a couple established guys there when he got there mm-hmm. at Oregon probably why he didn't but I just think he has the athleticism, has the length, you know, four four seven as pro day at six foot two oh seven, thirty-one and a half inch arms. You give the guy the chance and then you can always move him back inside. But I think the versatility is going to be his calling card. The coverage versatility is there. Um tested out as a plus athlete pretty much across the board. He's just not a super physical tackler, super physical in, in run support. It's just not really his game. He is much more of a coverage first player, which I get on board with. Like I, I got no issues with that. So I would love to see what he's looked like at cornerback. Though. Someone give him a ch- shot there. Nice. Jumping to another PFF favorite, Andre Cisco, Syracuse safety that we mentioned the word roller coaster with before. I mean, the guy who he just does some boneheaded stuff. I mean, you see some him d- jumping on things and then giving up big plays in coverage. But the splash plays he can make, he's capable of, are up there with the best in this class. Like what he's capable of doing from a range and like ball production standpoint is up there with the best in this class. It's just the problem is, is what do you get with that? You know, what do you get with those splashy plays? And yeah. I think there's also conversations we've had about the safety position is, you know, what's this balance of safety, a guy that doesn't give up big plays, but maybe doesn't have, you know, more than two picks a season or even one pick a season, or a guy that finished every season with 10 passes, defense and six picks, but also gives up some big plays, gives up some, um, you know, even has some penalties in some ways. Can we hear that drilling on the pod? I don't know if we can hear that drilling on the pod. If you can hear that drilling on the podcast, it's not ideal. Yeah. You guys might be hearing that. There looks sounds like someone's trying to break in with the drill. And they are, because we're just giving out the fire right now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cisco, six foot two sixteen, he comes in as pro day. That's the 17 built. reps on the bench. It's a horse of a safety. And, and like he has some big hits on his tape, but he doesn't play. He don't want this guy in the box. He's not taking on blocks. He's not doing that sort of thing. But 17 bench reps, runs in the four threes. And I mean, obviously we didn't get a pro day 40 from him, but you flip on the tape, he runs in the four threes. He's got the best range of any safety in this class, in my opinion. 13 picks, 13 pass breakups, 23 games, but coaching, going to be so huge with him. Can you reel him in? Because we talked about Jamar Johnson, like his plays are him actually, the Indiana safety, his plays were actually him just like playing good sound football, being in the right position, making play on the ball. Mm-hmm. Cisco's plays are him kind of freelancing on the back end. Freelancing, but having the ability to do it. And having, yeah, yeah, having the physical ability to do it. Like 13 picks and 13 pass breakups in 23 games is not a fluke. You don't just accidentally luck into those. He's doing something right. And that's from his true freshman year, true sophomore year, basically. Only two games this past year as a true junior. But there's still the fact that he didn't even grade out well in coverage in 2019, despite all those ball productions, scary. Yeah. 
I think it's interesting when you look at that Syracuse secondary as a whole and and and, and just why they weren't that good. You know, Fatu Melifanu, Andre Sisco, Trill Williams, all these guys. When I talked to Trill, he was saying that you know when he first got there, he was playing outside corner, and then there was an injury at slot, and he got positioned in the slot and kind of played there ever since. Like there was, I think there was opportunities to potentially use those guys better. I think there's opportunities to coach those guys better in the NFL. I think all three of those guys might have better football in the NFL. I think all three of those guys could play better football yep. in the NFL, especially if a Fatu Melifanwu, you know, you know, someone gets him upset. You know, let's see the Fatu Melifanwu get a little chip on his shoulder, whatever it may be. All right, last safety here you have listed on the day two list, and then we get into the day three guys, is Virginia Tech's Divine Diablo. He's also on today's podcast. And I will say this, Mike. Safety, he played safety at Virginia Tech. He told me every single team sees him as a linebacker. Yeah. He's going to step into the box, be a full-time box player in the NFL. That is not particularly surprising. 226 pound safeties don't exist anymore. He's <laughs> six foot three, 226 pounds, and has 33 inch arms. Ran four, four, five at his pro day. So that's unsurprising that that's that guy's going to be seen as, yeah. I mean, he's five pounds heavier than Jeremiah Uskormoa. So that does not surprise me. He's not particularly, like, he was a guy who had to be a box safety if, you're, if that's where you're playing him at. Mm-hmm. So unsurprisingly, that today is. That's a linebacker, and his production this past season had a career year. Uh, who was it against? The play he made in back of the end zone was against Trevor Lawrence. That's who it was. It was coming from the backside and quarters in the red zone and just read him like a book. Like this past year, 84.4 coverage grade. I do worry about a pure transition to linebacker. It's not apples to apples with the role he was playing. He was not really taking on blocks. That's despite his size, I never came away being like, damn, that's like a physical dude at mm-hmm. safety position. And he is, but it's not overly where those are the guys you feel good about transitioning to linebacker. He, he may have issues in the run game when he does drop down the box initially, but it's the coverage, the range at that size that teams are going to cover. I mean, the, it's going to require a lot of transformation for him because even in uh, his early days, he played quarterback and then played wide receiver, was recruited to Virginia Tech to play wide receiver. Then they flip into the defense side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to play a new position in the NFL. Like, there's a lot there's a lot to like about his raw tools. 6'3", 220, you know, 226, 33-inch arms, 445, 40-yard dash. Like, there's a lot to like about his tools. But you're asking this guy to do a lot. You're asking him to play a lot of different positions, a lot of complex positions. And I'm interested to see, you know, how that transition goes. He's not a guy that I think I would expect in that full-time transition to linebacker to immediately hit the ground running, but a guy that could develop into something um, – pretty sweet down the road if all things start to click Super sweet bro just go never mind i hate you <laughs> i hate you have you heard that some people are on the youtube comments think you dress like a tennis player okay why don't we just bring that up I, no i i i, I feel like it's, a, it's like... an important conversation the the zip is I there dressed... a shirt underneath that jacket no it was the last second play i dress like I'm ready to go work out at any moment. That's yeah, actually I love why it. I dress like this. And I love it, dude. You're, you're, yeah, you look great. I like it. You're like a young Federer. It's almost it's almost summer. Gotta shed the pounds while I can. You love to and see I it. I did not shed the pounds this past weekend. Let us. Dude, you're just eating clear eating, about that. Eat big. I had okay. I'll tell this story. I had eight brisket tacos and then I threw up immediately afterwards. Oh my gosh. Was this before or after the broken hand? I guess after. This was after. I was just like sitting there at. Uh, on rainy street and they had like a t- taco stand and just housing i'm like so good and I, I i forgot how many i had at one point i was like oh my god I, I just had too many and you're also housing beers i had a few at that point but and i was just like i gotta get this out of me and i just left them with people man i drank many. with quinn this weekend 
Producer Mike Quinn invited oh, me it's out. Been a minute. It's been a while since I've seen Quinn out in the banks, man. He's got that new house with his girl. He's you know trying to live the family life. They got a dog. He's like, hey, oh, man, yeah. you're trying to trying to celebrate the best team in professional baseball down at the banks. I said, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, all right, let's jump to these day three safeties here. Okay, I put them in buckets. Can I? No, can I? I'll read the bucket yeah. and then read the player names, and then you're just gonna dive in. Yeah. All right. Day three bucket. First one, versatile. Tyree Gillespie, Zuri. DeMar Hamlin, Pittsburgh, Hampson Nazaldine, which I looked at this recently, the Florida State uh, uh, safety. He has some long-ass arms, like 34-and-a-half-inch arms. Yeah, he's, he's got long crazy seven. long arms, one of the longest we've seen from a safety. Caden um, Stearns of Texas, and then Christian Uphoff, Northern Illinois. Can I start here? Yeah. I think Christian Uphoff, of the day three guys, of, that I think could actually like potentially develop into legitimate stars in the NFL, I like Uphoff a lot. I think Uphoff is a day three flyer at safety that I really would invest in that and it's because of the reason you have here, versatile. I think he can do a lot of different things. Yeah. If I'm going to invest in a safety in this part, I do think I want to go after a guy that can do a lot of different things for me rather than maybe investing into a niche skill set. But that's where my mind jumps. Yeah, this is – I agree that these are kind of the guys in day three that you're probably going to want. And these are – unsurprisingly, a lot of these guys are high on our board because you want – you don't want to have a guy that just – you're stuck in a role. And we'll get to the box safeties here in a little bit. Like the box safety role – if you really are just a box safety in today's NFL, that's a linebacker. The dimebacker stuff, yeah, there's some of those guys play, but not a lot of teams. It's not going to be a super. That's why we pushed back on what's his face? Who was the Raider safety win the first round that we just, that everyone. Oh, Jonathan Abrams. Jonathan Abrams. That's why we pushed back on Jonathan Abrams as first rounder. That guy was a box safety coming out of Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. You're not, if that's all you bring to the table, you're not bringing the value that other guys can because you're, as we've seen, if you throw a box safety into a, a more versatile role, all of a sudden he's getting exposed left and right in coverage because that's NFL is just a different game in terms of speed you have to deal with down the football field. So you better have that athleticism. You better have the versatility because at some point you're going to be thrown a role that isn't just you guarding underneath in the box. So these are the guys I'd probably covet. I do like up off later. Um, Hamza, his senior bowl was very worrisome to me. Like his interesting blend of size and length but just no real explosiveness in his game and that's so that was concerning probably the one i like here is tyree gillespie from missouri has the speed has the athleticism good size not no ball production to speak of on a tape whatsoever really at missouri but he's a willing tackler I, I just don't think he's a guy he's a guy you can plug in and not feel like he's a liability really anywhere all right let's jump to the box guys here again has value Box safety prospects, day three guys. James Wiggins, Cincinnati. Jamie Sherwood of Auburn. Talanoa Hufanga, USC. Sean Davis, Florida. And then Jacoby Stevens, LSU. I think with James Wiggins, and I've talked about him a ton, he, I think he was a three-time Bruce Feldman's freaks list guy because he's super explosive. Like mm-hmm. he's a crazy explosive guy for his size. But I think um, there's a reason he didn't do the change of direction drills at his pro day, Mike. <laughs> he did every drill but the short sh- short shuttle and three cone. Because And you pointed that this out to me too. You brought up a, um, Elijah Molden and how when he plays in the slot, if you threaten him vertically, um, you know he can stick with you. And I think a lot of that is hip fluidity and footwork and that type of stuff. Wiggins, when you saw him playing in the slot and guys would test him vertically, even though he's explosive, he's fast. He just can't turn with guys. He can't he can't flip his hips with guys. And I think that, again, I don't want to play him in the slot. I like him going north and south in the box. That's it. Don't ask him to do much more. Yeah. North and south in the box. Of all these guys, the one I'd feel best about playing a more versatile role is Sean Davis, Florida safety. He can get by in a, a number of 
if you really want him to play kind of an all-around safety. But the rest, it's like dimebacker, 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 slash move him to linebacker. Damn. You hate to see it. What, any other names there you like? I mean, Jamie Sherwood. Sherwood, I like if I'm transitioning one of these guys to linebacker, I think Sherwood could do the job the best. I've already seen him take on blocks. You see him play super physical downhill. He has 34-inch arms for a six-foot-one safety, which is kind of insane. Uh, super long dude, willing tackler. Uh, I think he could do it if any of these guys are going to make that transition. 216 pounds. He's already pretty close. All righty. Now jumping to the two guys. You have two more groups here. You have the deep safety prospects, and then you have the pro day yuck prospects, which I'm interested to get into those as well. Uh, deep, you have Chris Brown of Texas, and then uh, Ashari Crosswell of ASU. Yeah, Chris Brown, one of my favorite quote-unquote sleepers in the draft class, an undersized guy, 5'10", 191, not a good tackler. But in coverage, deep coverage, whether it was you know too high, a role where he is getting one-on-ones down the football field, he held up very well um, on his tape there at Texas. Has some good speed, change of direction ability, but again, you're not going to play this guy in the box. You're just not. Um, he really is, like I said, 191 pounds, undersized and not particularly physical player i'm gonna butcher this guy's name ashari crosswell is the other one i like that all right so he started as a freshman sophomore at arizona state you see some high level plays on his tape i believe he left the team this past year at arizona state entered the draft and not like covid left the team like he got benched and then he's like i'm out peace played two snaps um so there's some some of that to his game you're not going to pick him highly because of you know that and, and again another guy who's a freelancer not particularly the most assignment sure but there's some legit physical tools here six foot 205 so an interesting name to watch as a again deep safety prospect last thing here and then we'll jump to the interview with jt o'sullivan pro day yuck mm-hmm. richard lecount georgia paris ford pittsburgh and then Tariq thompson of our san diego state aztecs yeah, you hate to see. It. I, I really like Tariq Thompson as maybe even just like a slot only. Mm-hmm. Then his pro day was nightmare. Did yeah. you see the numbers? I haven't seen the numbers for Thompson. I saw the numbers for the count and Ford just being awfully slow. And like, yeah, so we, there were we, people. There were people that were hyping up. How long have people been hyping up LeCount? Like a, yeah. a lot of people really liked him, and he we were there were a handful of people that would reach out to me or you and say, "Why is Mike so low on him? You know, why is Mike so low on him?" And then you see some of these athletic athletic testing. I do think that. Pro day yuck might be even understatement. Like the Paris Ford numbers are like, whoa, how, yeah. how, you know? And th- th- that's obviously a concern. Just like productive players on the college football field, not guys you think can even like see an NFL football field at their level of class. But here, Tariq Thompson, 4-7-5-40. This is the one, this is the kicker though. Seven seven five three come. Oh my goodness. For a 5'10", 204-pound safety slash slot cornerback. He's more slot corner for San Diego State. That's awful. That's a four seven three shuttle. He did not come to change directions that day which that one kind of blew my mind because i thought he was at least smooth on tape mm-hmm. paris ford but, six foot 197 29 inch vertical first percentile 100, uh, 110 inch broad second percentile four nine 40 yard dash i think there were others that had him in the four eights but still yeah. you're running in the four eights at safety yeah. richard lecount four seven nine forty seven four four three cone four four nine shuttle paris ford had a seven six five three cone man yeah so those are just like I said, good football players in high in college, excuse me, not guys that they probably were good touch. in college. I mean, high school too, though. Yeah, 
All right, that's going to do it for the safety class overview. That's going to do it for all our positional overviews. Definitely encourage you guys to go back and listen to other episodes. They're all numbered to go look at, you know, some of the class overviews we've done. We've done every single position now. Moving forward, we're going to look at, you know, um, picks that PFFs or players that PFFs higher on them versus the consensus. I know the athletic consensus board is coming out very soon. I was talking to Arif Hassan of the athletic this morning, actually. He's going to work on that thing. One of the better things that comes out soon. And then also final big board update. And final mock draft, the week of the draft. It's going to be a lot of fun. That show should be a ton of fun. We're going to be going live on YouTube, live on Twitter, doing a lot of really cool, fun things here on 2-4 Drafts. But without further ado, let's jump to the interview with JT O'Sullivan. Wait, before I get to the interviews, got to mention this. Watch the PFF Draft Show on PFF.com. It's kicking off 7 p.m. on Thursday night, April 29th. You have to check it out. We're going to be live on YouTube and on Twitter and on PFF.com for four days. Day one, day two, and day three of the draft, and then the following day as well. Definitely check it out. Also have to mention this. We're going to be having the draft promo code, DRAFT30, D-R-A-F-T, 30 30% off any PFF subscription. Now, through the end of the draft, watch the draft show. Go get your PFF subscription. 30% off is one of the bigger percentages off we give the subscription all year. You know, And, and I run the show here. We run the show on when the subscriptions, when the, when the promo codes come out. This is one of the better deals you'll get all off season. Also need to mention this from Western and Southern. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like when, sh- when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look, look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments, compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Last thing I'll bring up here, Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon. Round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the USC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and if they walk out with the belt, you will cash $130. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated sportsbook, DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend the code is pff to turn five dollars into 130 dollars if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown for a limited time only at DraftKings sportsbook must be 21 years or older new in new jersey west virginia or pa only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is JT O'Sullivan. I feel like you've taken Twitter and YouTube by storm of late with some really good analysis of the 2021 quarterback class. It's really great to have you on the show. I know you were on another PFF podcast, the PFF forecast recently. We had to get you on as well. We really appreciate you jumping on. I'm fired up, man. This is the season. So it feels like uh, the draft's tomorrow. I'm sure it's, I, I honestly have no idea when it is, but I know it feels like it's coming. It's felt like it's coming for a while. And uh, I'm excited to see where some of these guys land. No, absolutely. I, I think the um, what I'm interested in, and I want to talk a little bit about the guy, the quarterbacks that are potentially going to go on day two, day three. But where I'd first like to start is actually something I was talking to Mike about and some others over the weekend is, you know, Zach Wilson. You know, ever since that pro day in Provo, Utah, where the kind of Jets were rumored to lock into him as the number two overall pick. I think betting markets have it as like minus 2000. I don't even know if you can bet on it anymore. I think like we've stopped like picking at his profile, we're picking more on mm-hmm. Justin Fields and Kyle Trask, these other guys. But like we said, yep, he's the number two overall pick, second best quarterback in the class. But 
there's a lot of reasons to have reservations about Zach Wilson as well. Like, I don't think his profile in any way is perfect. I think we've done more to pick apart Justin Fields and other quarterbacks in this class. But when you look at Zach Wilson, only one year of elite grading, and he did it against, you know, you know, low-level competition playing at BYU. I do think there's also some concerns that, like, in the previous years, he did not grade all that well. In the game against Coastal Carolina, didn't necessarily show up. Games against San Diego State in previous years didn't look as well. What is your opinion on the cons for Zach Wilson? Maybe a better way to frame the question is, you know, why doesn't Zach Wilson pan out in the NFL? What are the reasons for Zach Wilson in five years' time not being what everyone's hyping up to be, not him hitting his ceiling in the NFL? I mean, I, I think I would unfortunately answer that in one word. It's going to be the Jets. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's it's one of those things in our American culture with these drafts where you reward the quote unquote best players with the worst organizations, and you know you you look back in a half a decade and wonder what you missed, and unfortunately, you know, you you don't get an opportunity to choose what organization you go to. Now they've got a new staff in there, new vibe. Maybe they hit the ground running, but unfortunately, when you get picked that high, you're going to go into a situation that you're going to probably struggle with for a few years and so if you can come out the other side of it you got a great opportunity it's obviously a great market there's a lot of ups Uh, I think I think that you hit on a number of things that I think would be concerning if I was in that spot I mean the other thing you know we can dance around the Zach Wilson thing for me but you know the elephant in that conversation is Justin Fields I just think he uh, is is that good nothing away from Zach Wilson I think Zach Wilson had an amazing year I think the thing that I love about about Zach Wilson is less the cons and maybe why he didn't grade out so well previously, but the trajectory of improvement. So if he can keep on that trajectory of improvement in the next few years in the league, I think he's got an opportunity to be very special. There are certainly things that he does arm talent wise that are special. They're just, you know, he, I love his upper body mechanics. I love his fluidness. I think he got much, I don't know what the better decision-making is probably the right word. I didn't dive into quite enough, 2019 to be able to tell you what the differences were that sounds like anecdotally what I've what I've heard people say but for me you know I just I think you hit on something that's important why is he locked in as the number two I don't know Uh, I I think that there's a few guys in that discussion at the top of the tier that probably deserve a little bit more recognition in that spot but again it's almost one of those things where you're kind of like hey congratulations you went first hey congratulations you went second uh, all, I'd like to go third and go to the better situation. You touched on here, Austin touched on it, the level of competition that he played this past season. You played at UC Davis. And so what kind of, you probably have a unique perspective on just what that leap is going to be like for him. Guys like Trey Lance as well from, from North Dakota State. How big is it when you don't play, say, you know, SEC competition week in and week out? How big is that leap going to be for guys like Zach Wilson, Trey Lance to hit the ground running? I think there are different types of leaps. Uh, for the quarterback position specifically, it's a little bit different because, you know, I don't have to block SEC defensive linemen. I don't have to, you know, get around those types of offensive linemen. And so the grading or the, you know, open is open. Tight window is tight window. Red zone is red zone. I think that there is a speed of the game that's a little bit elevated when you get to Sundays. But if you can handle the anticipation, the reads, the processing, I think a lot of it carries over. I think it's actually probably easier nowadays to make that transition just because the game is better across the board, across all levels of college football. Now, I, I know people love to knock on, you know, the Trey Lance level of competition thing. The Bison could beat a lot of those top-tier programs. They are that good at that level. And I, I know that, you know, he's not necessarily playing against his defense the entire time. But that's elite football. I don't care what level of football 
you're talking about. And so I personally don't think it's a huge thing. I think now you can certainly look across some of like Zach Wilson's film and realize, hey, there are some college open receivers there, but there are college open receivers at Clemson, at Ohio State, across the board. And so as the windows get tighter, the speed picks up. But again, for me, the quarterback position, it was it's always more about a little bit about just the anticipation, the accuracy, because the windows get more condensed, the game picks up a little bit. But again, you know, I was never tackling anybody. I never worried that much about how much faster their guys got. I didn't have to tackle them. I just had to throw the ball to them. I had an interesting follow-up to, you know, you bring up the Jets being the reason maybe Zach Wilson doesn't pay out in the NFL. And we had conversations with Jordan Palmer in the past, who's trained a lot of the quarterbacks in this class and in previous classes. And something he emphasized to us that has kind of resonated with me is just how important situation is for the quarterbacks. You know, how important situation is at the quarterback position to have success. You know, everyone wants to, you know, grade these guys and rank these guys. This is my favorite quarterback. This is my fourth favorite. And this is how good they think they're going to be. But situation is arguably situation supporting cast all that stuff the development is arguably more important to the evaluation or actually the production and success in the nfl in my opinion and i think it gets underrated somewhat when everyone wants a big board everyone wants qb rankings and this player is better than this player what's your opinion of you know the percentages you know what matters more obviously like the tools the traits what he can do in a vacuum at the quarterback position or you know the situation he lands in if he lands with the jets or if he goes to the texans versus san francisco with kyle shanahan and, and, and so forth yeah, that absolutely matters. And it, it's a massive variable. It's not one of the things that's sexy to talk about this time of year. Uh, I think Jordan uh, speaks a lot of truth to that. And I think a perfect example is his brother. You know, I think Carson was a phenomenal thrower of the football. I think the organization that he went to, I would add on top of that, not just the organizational context, but also the health of the player. You get some sort of catastrophic injury. You get some sort of nicked up. You're never healthy. Those types of things are not sexy to talk about, but there's a lot of luck that goes into this, whether it's the luck of the organization that you go to, whether it's the luck of the coaching staff, the offensive coordinator, the turnover, you know, congratulations, you're really good. Uh, your offense coordinator is gone. He's now a head coach somewhere else. Well, that resets your uh, capacity to function on Sundays. And so all those things go into play. That's why this thing, I know people frown upon the crapshoot thing, but there's just so much damn luck with this. And it's not as easy as just saying, hey, these are my five favorite guys. Yeah, these might be my five favorite guys. But even coming from me, who I enjoy this part of the process, what I do is very incomplete. Mm -hmm. You guys have a, a, a much more uh, macro, different approach to as far as the gradings, the quantitative element of it. You know, there there's a qualitative element of things that I like, things that I think translate to Sundays that might not fit what the Jets are looking for, which might not fit what an organization is looking for. So, so much of it, is that luck variable that just, you know, how do you quantify that? To add to that, I guess, Trevor Lawrence going to the Jacksonville Jaguars organization where they obviously have not done a great job of developing quarterbacks over the course of their 23-plus years uh, as a franchise. Do you think, though, Lawrence himself, with how good he has shown already on tape at Clemson, is he organization-proof, kind of like Andrew Luck was with the Indianapolis Colts, where they really didn't give him the best situation, but he obviously succeeded nonetheless. Do you foresee a similar future for Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I would push back to that question a little bit. It was Andrew Luck organization-proof. I mean, he got hurt. True. Yeah. You know, there, there's an element, again, you know, these things are, I get it that it's cool to say generational talent, so good since whatever, uh, those things resonate with people. And I think people can see that type of talent, whether it's John Elway, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be in a tough situation. He just is. 
the Jacksonville, you know, the track record speaks for itself. I know Urban Meyer has been able to do Urban Meyer things everywhere he goes. Uh, been around their offensive coordinator in the past. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to try to be as flexible and adaptive to Trevor Lawrence's skill set, which is vast. They viewed as a freak. Uh, and there's a lot of things that he's going to bring to the table. But again, that's going to be a heavy lift. It just is. You know, there's nothing easy about going into an organization in the NFL and trying to turn around a franchise with a bunch of new faces, trying to do things a new way when you don't have somebody to look for, you don't have somebody to look to, to do it. You're, you're walking in as the guy. And I know people recently, it feels like I didn't read the article, but I know there's an article about knocking him about having balance in his life or whatever. <laughs> to me, if anything, that is a great sign. I love to hear that type of stuff. I love to hear that someone has put in enough reflective work to be able to hopefully deal with some of the ups and downs and rapids that are coming because they are coming and they're coming every Sunday for the next decade of your life. And it's going to be a, it's going to be fascinating to see how he pans out. I think he's got a great opportunity to be a very good football player, but again, congratulations. You're going to the worst organization. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually going to be my follow-up, you know, talking about, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He's not one of these guys that will, like, eat a granite sink to get on the football field and play through injury and all these different stuff. I definitely think I'm interested for you to kind of elaborate more on just, like, you know, how you know, the mental and physical health aspect of playing football and committing to this grind and all the sacrifices you have to make to be, you know, the face of a franchise and all that stuff. I agree. Like, I come out of it like, okay, this guy has some self-awareness. He understands that he can't commit 120% of himself to his, you know, his craft and to football to be mentally and physically healthy. So I definitely think I'd be interested to hear you elaborate more on that and how you kind of, you know, battled some of that. Being the quarterback, there's these expectations that, like, you can't even go out to dinner without bringing your playbook. Like, people have these, you know, fans have these expectations that it needs to be everything. It needs to be everything for you, and you need to have this, like, you know, proverbial chip on your shoulder. I'd be interested to know, you know, your, your elaboration on that. Yeah, well, I come at it a few different ways. Anecdotally, I personally played with like a boulder on my shoulder. So I have a hard time uh, empathizing with that approach. That, but I will say from trying to empathize with what Trevor Lawrence is going through, the dude has been the dude for half a decade on the national stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in this slot for as long as I can remember. And that probably creates a different type of environment, different type of uh, learning journey for him. And so I personally think it's refreshing I think it's a great model for a lot of young players. I think people, hopefully, if you're fortunate enough to play in the league long enough, you get to that point. It's refreshing to see somebody come into the league with that perspective. I personally never thought of it as balance, and I actually frown away from the word balance because balance implies 50-50. Like, I'm going to be all in at work, and then when I'm at home, I'm going to be a great parent, husband, spouse, friend, neighbor, community member. To me, it's always harmony. There are times of the year where I'm all in training camp, uh, when I'm in the facility, when I'm trying to get better, improve my craft in the off season, those types of things, game week. But when I'm home, I'm home. When I'm away from the facility, you have to find a way to decompress, to be yourself, to find, to hang out with your friends and just be you. And so that harmony is what I get out of those words, the little snippets that I read on Twitter. And that's what I love to see in any player. It's not just him. And it's not really just any player that resonates across sports across really life, whether it's, you know, whatever job you're doing to be able to turn it off and on. I always often think of it as like an amplifier. You have to have my favorite players had the ability to go to 10 on Sunday at one o'clock every single week. But then after the game, you know, you weren't worried about them getting thrown in County. You know, they were able to turn it down 
and be a little bit more normal, not be like a WWE personality when they leave the locker room. <laughs> it's that ability to find that harmony in what that career is because their career is intense. It's, uh, it's, it's wild on a number of different levels. And to hear somebody speak that clear, that concise about how they view it, I think is refreshing. All right, so we've talked about the big five quarterbacks now ad nauseum. Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, Jones. Who's your favorite outside of those big five? And you know, where would you take one of those guys in this class? I don't know if those are – that's my top five. I really Ooh. like Kellen Mond. Well, Kellen go. Mond is the guy that would jump is, – is right in that tweener, Mac Jones, Kellen Mond thing. I probably am a little bit more familiar with Kellen Mond. I just feel like I gravitate towards guys – who have a little bit more body of work, you know, when I, when it sums again, we talked a little bit about Zach Wilson, the trajectory of improvement. I think Kellen Mond is another guy who showed significant improvement was on a top five team in the most, you know, difficult division in football. And it's fun to see that type of trajectory of improvement. I think he's got a number of skills that translate to potentially Sundays. Again, it's one of those things where if he's picked a little bit later, he gets an opportunity to perhaps sit in an organization that has a track record for winning. You know, you all of a sudden fall into a much better situation. So Kellen Mond jumps to the top of the list for me. I know people frown around a little bit of the mechanics. He is, you know, stiff, as, as for lack of a better word, as far as for me, the upper body mechanics, and that just translates to consistency and spinning the ball. And so I look for the, one of those things to, to be able to be worked on immediately. And when you get into an NFL camp, NFL situation, and he's, he's kind of the one in that middle tier that I'm most excited about. From there, it's a little bit, I'm kind of a Davis Mills over Kyle Trask at the moment. I, I think you can make the argument either way. Again, so much of that's going to fall on where they end up going, who ends up making that selection when it happens. I'd be interested to know from your per, you know perspective what you feel like is is the most coachable you know in, in most coachable at the next level. You talk about like weaknesses in a prospect. He holds the ball too long, doesn't process things quickly. You know mechanics, these types of things that you know on the outside looking in, never playing quarterback, never coaching quarterbacks, not necessarily knowing what actually can be improved. You know people talk about athleticism obviously translates to the NFL. Accuracy is a trait that's very difficult to improve in the NFL. What do you feel like? is most improved or what can be improved the most with coaching in the NFL of some of these weaknesses we see with these prospects? I think the easiest one is footwork. And so footwork, and again, this, a lot of this depends on what they're coming from. If they're coming from a place where they weren't asked to make a lot of anticipation throws, where there wasn't precision in the footwork in the drop back game, timing up with routes down the field. I think that those things can be easily improved very quickly. Once you understand the rhythm, cadence of you know certain drops with certain routes or certain types of coverages those things shoot up immediately you can see the, the improvement in that in the first uh mini camp from there i think that it, it gets a lot harder i think the the hardest thing you already alluded to it is the accuracy element i've changed my throwing motion many times i know exactly the amount of work that it takes to go into changing a throwing motion at that level and it is significant and do not uh recommend it to very many people but if you do and you're willing to put in the work, I think it does translate into it, it really saved me and gave me an extra, you know, couple years in the league because I felt like I got significantly more accurate doing it, more consistent. But the other part, and you alluded to one of my favorite words this offseason, is the processing. Uh, processing is one of those things for me. Again, it, so much of it depends. Obviously, you either have the capacity or not to be able to handle the volume of offense that a lot of teams will ask you to handle at the quarterback position. But so much of it is dependent on the system. Are you asked to change 
the plays at the line of scrimmage? Are you checking protections? Who's responsible for those types of things? Because to me, processing really comes down to a relationship between the coaching staff and the person playing quarterback. It's their job to find that perfect sweet spot to allow the quarterback to play fast, to not allow them to do too much, to not be drowning. But again, I think I've been around quarterbacks that no matter what you do, it's too fast. It's just too fast. I can't see, you know, the, the windows are blurry. Everything is happening too fast. And then there's nothing you can do at that point. But as far as the experience, the processing gets, as you get a little bit more experience, different situational football, the red zone, those types of things can really slow down. And then the processing speeds up. And it's just based on what they're being asked to do. What's that sweet spot for your capacity versus what your system is. JT, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you know the time. Make sure everyone follow JT O'Sullivan on Twitter. Also, check out his YouTube channel, The QB School. He's also on Twitter, The underscore QB underscore school. A lot of really good work there. And something that you know I wanted to finish with this, something that really resonated with me is what you know what you talked about with work-life balance, work-life harmony. I do think that's a it's a good insertion of the word. You know, finding that opportunity to turn it on and turn it off is is fantastic. Really good advice to quarterbacks, players, coaches, people working anywhere. It's a really good, um, a really, really good advice. JT, thanks again. Austin, Mike, my pleasure. JT, what an addition to the show. He was awesome. Definitely want to get him on in the summer, potentially closer to the season, talk about some of these rookie quarterbacks and rookie landing spots. But until then, let's jump to the player interviews we have on today's show. Former Notre Dame and Jacksonville State wide receiver KJ Stefferson, and then also Virginia Tech safety, soon-to-be NFL linebacker, Divine Diablo. Now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former Jacksonville State wide receiver KJ Stefferson. Big fan of your work, man. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. You know, where I'd love to start, I think and not, not enough people know kind of the background of where you come from. Former three-star recruit, you know, coming out of First Coast High School. Absolute, you know, dominant over the last two seasons there. I think, what, over 1,500 yards, 21 touchdowns for First Coast. And then commit to Notre Dame. And I'm getting uh, dismissed from Notre Dame and then moving to Jacksonville State. Walk me through that timeline of all that transpired there and obviously going from Notre Dame to Jacksonville State and now preparing for the 2021 NFL Draft. Yeah, so uh, like I said, um, I graduated in 2016 uh, from First Coast High School, ended up committing to Notre Dame. Uh, I graduated early, so I enrolled in the spring of 2016 uh, at Notre Dame. Um, I played two years there. Um Went into some trouble my freshman year, came back from that, um, missed four games of my sophomore year, came back from that, um, and then completed my sophomore year, uh, got into some more trouble, some more legal trouble, and then um, I ended up transferring to uh, Jacksonville State after my dismissal from Notre Dame, um, played a year there after I sat out a year, and then uh, just because of the... Uh, you know, COVID and family issues, I uh, ended up making the decision to opt out, mm-hmm. and then which uh, led to my decision to enter the draft. Gotcha, man. And, and so, you know, more on kind of the legal trouble, what has been, you know, kind of your response when teams have talked to you or when you've had opportunities to meet with teams? What has been your response to that stuff and, and how, you know, obviously the, those issues are behind you and, and kind of how you're moving forward? Yeah, um, I think uh, the number one thing that they want to know is basically like you just asked me the timeline. Mm-hmm. and also all the different things that I've learned from it. I've, I've learned so many things. They, uh, I've, I've been phrased, they, they phrased the question to me a couple of times of what is the number one thing that I've learned from it, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would never say that it was one big thing that stood out from all the others that I've learned from just because it was so many things that I've learned during that, that rough part of my life, man. But I just tell them that, you know, it's, it's behind me now, you know, 
I grew up a little bit. Um, you know, I was when I was a teen, you know, coming mm-hmm. out of high school, uh, a little bit immature, but just it just kind of forced me to grow up, man. Forced me to become a man, and just I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't take any of it back, man. It made me the man who I am today, and. I think I'm a better player and more importantly, a better person from all of that, man. I just tell him that, you know, uh, just since since then, I basically have in the time of college career all over, all over again. It's been like three years since all of that transpired, man. So I've, I've stayed out of trouble, you know, kept my, kept my head down and got back on the ground with football, man. And I just love the sport so much. And that's what I tell him. Yeah, man, I think that's awesome. I think uh, there's a lot of a lot of opportunity, you know, with those situations. There's a lot of opportunity to improve and, and learn from those things. I think, you know, uh, on the more positive side of things, something that amazes me about your your, your profile is that you're going back to you know, graduating early, you know, committing to Notre Dame in 2016. I mean, you finished in that season third in total targets ahead of Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Chris Finke, uh, Javon McKinley, who's a monster for Notre Dame now. I, I need to know just like what all transpired to so quickly getting an understanding of the playbook, so quickly getting involved in that offense. Obviously, they still had Equinemia St. Brown there as well, but you were you know, third fiddle in that offense so early at such a young age. Talk to me about that transition from high school to Notre Dame specifically and how exactly you were able to hit the ground running and, and gain so much traction in that offense so early. Um, I, would have, I would have to give a lot of the credit to my um, high school receiver coach, um, Coach James, man. He, he expects a lot of me. Um, his motto is perfection. You know, being the best receiver is all about striving for perfection and just route running and being um, a consistent player to where they're not only the quarterback, but the coaches can feel like they can go to you. And uh, just when I got out of Notre Dame, uh, a lot of the stuff that I that was built in me from high school uh, translated really well into the college program. Um, I, I went up there and uh, I think most of part about it was I was just very consistent. You know, um, um, I had the mindset that I was going to show everybody what I could do, and um, I took a lot of pride in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a big competitor, man. I, I always want to go out there and compete, and mm-hmm. and, and, sh- and show that I can be out here with amongst these other guys who who are also very great athletes, man. I just want to prove that I'm one of those guys. Absolutely, man. Going back to, you know, the times you did have, you know, preparing for games and stuff, I'd love to hear more about kind of your preparation. You know, in a given game week, what exactly are you looking for on film from a keys and tendencies perspective? You know, looking at a cornerback or an opposing defense, what exactly do you look for when you're turning on an opponent's film in a given game week or a practice week? Uh, so mostly um, I would say that the number one thing that I look at is um, what defense do they like to run? You know, what kind of is their primary defense. You know, some some teams are a man team, some teams are a cover two team or a cover three team, and they, they run that. Uh, the coaches at uh, Notre Dame did a really great job of breaking that down of how many times they like to show this defense. And um, I just took that and they, you know, did a good job with basing the plays that we had off, finding the plays that we had off to, had to help us get us open. but. As far as individually with corners, um, I would just look at their initial reaction. Uh, some corners are, you know, they have a lot of confidence in what they do, and they don't really 
shy away from the things that they believe in, you know. Mm-hmm. But like versus, versus some guys who, you know, they let a lot of things get in their head, such as the media or anything like that. And all that really shows on film and their tendencies and stuff like that. And I just like to, to go all it, but also trust my, you know, skills and trust my tactics that I use in order to come out here and do what I do best, man. But, yeah, that's what I would say. And how much has that film preparation kind of changed in the off season or in the year, you know, obviously being opted out of COVID-19, have you had an opportunity to go back and maybe watch film on yourself or have you been turning on tape at all on on NFL guys trying to kind of take some bits and pieces from some of the better receivers in the NFL? Yes, sir. For sure. Um, Two of the receivers that I love the most uh, is uh, Stephon Diggs and Keenan Allen. They're great round route runners, great playmakers. And they're, they're physical guys and they're, and they're great competitors. You know, they're not always the biggest, um, not necessarily the fastest on the field, but they go out there and they're, and you can tell that they're a competitor out there and they want to play and they want to win. And that's who I would say that um, I out of my game after most of. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, for sure. I definitely go back on the film and look at myself and try to do my best to improve the next week and week after week. And um far as um, off season, I say off season, it wouldn't really change just in the mindset that I'm always been trying trying to become a better receiver. But it does change in a way that, you know, it's not season time. I can go harder a little bit on weights and stuff like that and not necessarily not necessarily worrying about, you know, trying to save my legs for a game or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So the off season I would say you definitely go harder in your uh, worth aspect in order to, you know, try to improve. But you also got to keep in mind to maintain throughout the year because, you know, the season's only during the fall. Mm-hmm. So you got to do a good job of maintaining, but you can't let that get in, can't let that get in the way at all of trying to be the best receiver you can be and trying to always improve. Absolutely, man. I'd love to hear you know some opinion on you know what the work that you have had or the conversations you have had with NFL teams where they feel like your best position is in the NFL. Have they talked about kind of slot versus outside versatility? Do they see you you know sticking on the outside? Do they see you kicking inside or having more of a versatile role in the NFL? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say they said or slot or outside, but I would say they um, definitely see that I'm a versatile player. You know, I'm just a just a natural with the ball in my hands. You know. Um, just a natural playmaker, you know. I'm comfortable with the ball and being in my hands. I'm comfortable making those plays that the team need. Um, and yeah. Awesome, man. We can finish with this. I really appreciate the time, KJ. The last question I'd like to ask players is, um, you know, what, what your motivation is, what your why is. You know, you've been through, obviously, a ton of adversity early in your collegiate career to continue to kind of prioritize an NFL career, continue to make the sacrifices you do on and off the field to, you know, play football is always tough. I'd be interested to know, you know, what, what's keeping you going? What's your motivation? What's your why behind this game? Well, it's a lot of similarities in uh, where my why is from then to where it is now. But it's definitely changed in a little bit. Uh, before, I think it was, you know, um, a lot of times, all you know, being a college player is about, you know, being a good player for the university, you know, um, trying to prove to your coaches uh, that the work that they're putting into you is worth it. But uh, my why would definitely just be my family, man. They, they put so much effort into me. You know, they put so much support into me through all the, the problems that I've had in, in, in the past and in order to help me uh, 
push through and regather and become the player that I am today. And um, I also recently became a father. So I have I have kids that I'm thinking about, you know, that I have to provide for. And they're definitely a big motivation in coming out here and doing what I need to do to, to provide for them. Of course, man. Well, I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Now joining 2-4 Drafts is former Virginia Tech safety box player, Divine Diablo. Divine, great to have you on the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start with this, man. I know you've been on, you know, on call and on Zoom calls with a ton of NFL teams, you know, following the Senior Bowl and even into now. What has been some of the feedback or consistent feedback you've gotten from teams so far on where they want to play you in the NFL? Obviously played kind of a versatile role with Virginia Tech, maybe finding yourself a more specific role in the NFL. I feel like most of the teams are telling me they want to move me in the box. Most, uh, a lot of them saying just move me at linebacker completely. And um, of course that's new for me, but you know, I'm up for the challenge and uh, just want to be what I can be for the <laughs> I'm messing all up. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say most teams see me as a box player, but a lot of them want me to play linebacker as well. And I just want to play whatever position they need to be at. That's perfect, man. That works for me. What weight did you play at this past season? And is there like a goal weight you'd want to get to if you did make that move to linebacker? I actually played at 227 before COVID. After COVID, I stayed around 220. Um, I got down because I didn't really eat that much during that week. I had COVID. And I think I'd play at a really good level if I stayed between 225 and 230. Yeah, 225, 230, man. The For the teams I've talked to or the players I've talked to that have played linebacker I mean that's that's where they're playing these days I know the Indianapolis Colts tell Darius Leonard to even sometimes get down at 215 you know <laughs> like they, they want their linebackers fast everyone wants speed and athleticism on the field especially when you're dealing with these tight ends in the NFL like George Kittle Travis Kelsey Darren Waller like glorified wide receivers I mean soon to be Kyle Pitts of Florida who's also a monster in and of that's itself it. but um I, I definitely like that transition linebacker I definitely think that you moving into a full-time box role because of the strengths that you bring it's, it's going to ultimately be really successful for you. We see one of the bigger strengths for you is just being a really a strong tackler, physical presence in the box. What do you feel like kind of separates you in the safety class or this linebacker class even uh, when you think about you know, your strengths or your key separators? As far as safety goes, I don't think there's too many safeties my size and as fast as I am. So I think that's the biggest separator. And then linebacker, same thing, my coverage ability at least. Uh, I can match up well with tight ends, running backs, and then I can stick around with receivers even, you know? And I feel like that's just something I can bring to the table. And I'm also new to the position. I've only started for three years at the safe position. Before then, I was an offensive guy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I could just – I feel like I can keep improving and getting better. And, and walk me through in a given game week or, or practice week when you're preparing for an offense or an opponent, what are you looking for keys and tendencies-wise on film? Like what specific keys and tendencies do you look for on film? Well, first off, we played a lot of man-to-man here, so I if I was sticking to tight ends this week, I just studied the tight end, what he like to do when he ran the ball or when they pass, play action, just study him or the slot receiver. I also stick with the slot receiver a lot. So just observing and see what they like to do in their routes. Um, they like to cut. They like to spin. If they break on a certain step, just small things. And then I'm also like watching the quarterback. Um, I'm a bit disguised guy. Sometimes I put myself in bad positions, but I like messing with the quarterback's head. So disguise is big for me. Pre-snap disguise, man. That's where the NFL is going. You look at Brandon Staley and what he did, you know, this past season with the Los Angeles Rams and what he asked, you know, his his 
defensive backs to do in terms of pre-snap alignment and disguising and moving post-snap, that type of stuff, I think is very interesting. Going to probably take over the NFL. How much has that, you know, film preparation changed in the offseason, especially with, you know, teams telling you to make that full-time transition to the box or even linebacker? You had a lot of, have you had a lot of opportunity to watch NFL linebackers or some guys that could be playing similar roles for you in the NFL that you kind of want to pattern your game after? Yes, sir. Uh, uh... I heard Fred Warner was similar in size to me, so I kind of watched him, study him. Um, Devin White, Buccaneers. Um, trying to think. I watched Jamal Adams just because he's more of a true box safety role. Um, mm -hmm. Just linebackers like that. I haven't got a chance to watch too many because I so focused on pro day, but uh, I'm getting into that now. I'm actually going to learn some some fronts with my previous uh, D coordinator here soon. He's going to teach me about the fronts since they're in the spring ball this week. So, yeah, that, that'll be fun. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, Devin White, Fred Warner is probably one of the best young off, you know, young off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. That's definitely a good player to watch as well. Um, going back to your time um, at, at Virginia Tech, where do you think you know you have the most opportunity to improve? Obviously, you're talking to these NFL teams and making that transition to linebacker. Where do you feel like you want to most improve going into the NFL? If I'm making the move to linebacker. I definitely got to be more aggressive when I approach tackle. I feel like that's my biggest. Um, I won't say weakness, but it's the thing I can improve at most. Um, and I know that. And it's just, it wasn't that I'm scared to tackle. I just didn't want to miss. I feel like securing the tackle is most important. But as soon as I figure it out, I'm going to come with the boom, too. So a player I've talked to on this podcast at Virginia Tech uh, is Khalil Herber. I think his nickname is Juice. I think he's got a line of clothes or something coming out, he told me. But um, I'd love to hear your scouting report on Herbert because, man, that is just an impressive player to watch, a really fun player to watch, a home run hitter for Virginia Tech after the transfer from Kansas. What, what was your opinion of him and, and obviously going, to go, going up against him at Virginia Tech? Khalil uh, Herbert, he's a team first player, um, doing well and do anything for the team. Uh, like you say, he did special teams, so he, he can hit home run, kick off his turn. Um, as far as running back, he's a very smooth guy. He creates holes in himself, and it was like the most amazing thing I've seen. Um, there was nowhere to go, and he created, he found a hole out of nowhere and took it for 70. So, yeah. Um, and he has the catching ability at the backfield screens, go almost 100 as well. So, yeah, Khalil Herbert is just all around back. And even at the senior bowl, I forgot he was at the senior bowl too. I, I was watching him during this pass block. Um, drill and he put somebody on their on their tail so yeah he can do it all man and wherever he gets them will have a great running back on their hands yeah pff's big on herbert man i think we have him as the number five running back i know a lot of other people have you know guys like trey sermon or uh -huh. ahead of him but khalil herbert man he's a big a big pff guy another former Hokie I'd like to talk about is Caleb Farley. He's also been on this podcast and that guy, super fun player to talk to. I'm sure he's got that in the locker room as well, but I'd love to hear your opinion of Caleb Farley, a guy that you know hasn't been playing the cornerback position for long, has these just insane freaky athletic, you know, freaky athletic, freaky speed tools. Um, you know, what's your, you know, what's your feedback or no, your scouting report on Caleb Farley. The crazy thing about Caleb, he's only played corner for two years. So I know. That's how you know. That's, that's how you nuts. know. His best game is ahead of him, man, and I'm mm -hmm. so happy for him. Um, it like his potential is limitless. He's fast, he's strong, he is he can jump high, far, he can do it all. And on top of that, he has a dog mentality. You're not going to talk smack to him. He's going he bring, he backs it up too. He talks smack and backs it up. I just like his swag. He brings swag to the game. So yeah, Caleb, number one number one corner in my opinion in this job class. Man, He'll yeah. Prove it. I definitely think, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing right now is, is the, obviously the back surgery and how to uh -huh. do that and the conversation around that. I think it's a similar back surgery to what Tony Romo had from what I've heard and all that type of stuff. But in terms of when healthy, 
you're not going to find a better cornerback in this draft. When I was talking to Todd McShay of ESPN, he said, if you had one play to cover any receiver in the NFL from this draft class, I would choose Caleb Farley. And I would agree. I mean, he's got the speed, the recovery, and again, still very raw, like only playing position for two years. It's just absurd to me. But um, yeah, definitely some great Hokies. We can finish with this one, Divine. I really appreciate the time. Um, talk to me about your motivation, your why, why you continue to kind of make the sacrifices you do and, and, and do everything on and off the field to play this game and pursue a career in the NFL. What is your motivation or your why? I was working down in Florida with House of Athletes. Uh, Ray Lewis came in. Um, my why used to be my family, but he he talked to us and he was like, the most important person is yourself. And I, I realized that. So my why is me now. I chose this route. I chose to play football and I refused to fail in life. So, you know, that's my why. I don't want to fail. I want to succeed. I want to be able to take care of myself and my family. So yeah, that, that's my why. That's awesome, man. I definitely respect that. My why is the same. Just trying to be the best me I could be. Really appreciate the time, man, and best of luck moving forward. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Two Foreign Drafts. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be going all, all week long. This week and next week, going to be talking NFL draft, rookies, all that good stuff. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Sofaro, Two Foreign Drafts. Mm-hmm.